We come this day, uh, Father, with joy of our hearts, uh, that of our salvation. Uh, Father, uh, we sang just a little closer walk with you. Lord, uh, what that truly means to your saints. Father, I just ask now. Uh, there are many in this fellowship, uh, this local assembly, Lord, that are ill this day. This flu uh, viral season, Lord, has, has already taken a toll. Lord, I lift them to you. Uh, Father, today as they stay at home in different places and uh, are physically ill, Lord, uh, I know and you know uh, the pain and, and the difficulty of keeping a focus upon you because of body ache. You know, Father, I ask now that you and the power of your spirit would touch their hearts. They know that you are near, and that, Father, the desires would be just a little closer. Father, we lift up the OMB family, Lord, uh, in Florida. Uh, Father, Jonathan, uh, so ill and in the hospital. Lord, the question of insurance and all that that would entail. And that, Father, we understand that you're sovereign. We understand these principles. We understand that you spoke existence into being. We understand that the span of your hand is creation. And yet, Father, you have the Ombi family there ministering at this time. And, Lord, I ask that Al and his fellowship would minister to them, would reach out in the love of Christ, and that, Father, um, embrace them in a way uh, to comfort them. And yet, Lord, I know, and we who have followed you, are following you, we know that the only comfort comes from you and you alone. Father, we ask that you release Jonathan quickly from his illness and that, Father, he can come back to the family and that the family doesn't have the stress over uh, being in the hospital. Father, I also ask that Jim be able to commit himself to his work, whether it be um, that of uh, contract work or However that is working, Lord, that you would give him the time, the peace of mind that he is able to, to fulfill his commitments and that, Father, that that income for the family would be there. Lord, let the family who is here with us rest in that peace, knowing that, Lord, that you are working and that, Father, your hand is moving in such a way that all who are involved will see you move in a way that will bring you glory and adoration. Father, we now come to your word. It is the light uh, for us. It, Lord, it is the power directing us. It is the authority over us. And, Father, I pray that it is the hunger of us. And, that, Father, we grasp these things with great joy and anticipation as we do desire to draw closer. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Chapter 5 is dealing with immorality in the body of Christ. Okay, we're not done with the topic. We will pick it up again uh, in chapter 6. You'll pick it up again in chapter 7. Uh, you're going to see it sprinkled in and out throughout this thing. And there's a reason, because the church in Corinth was in a, in a place that is considered the vice capital of the Roman Empire. Uh, we today are inundated by it. We are, uh, it, it assails us, immorality, uh, everywhere and anywhere and yet the church is supposed to be this called out entity that sets uh, as a light on a hill as a city on a hill that uh, is still in the world but is not conformed to the world uh, and this is a 
This is troubling because I would guarantee that most of us in this room today have some conformity to the world uh, that um, in, in some cases probably is sin. Is sin. And, and, and listen, owning a car is not conforming to the world. Okay, it is a mode of transportation. I know people who say, well, I, I cannot fly because I do not fly because that is not of God. And, and you're like, do what? Um, but I, I've seen silly arguments that go down the line. Uh, I see a lot of things. I watch people, uh, well, should you buy a house? Well, um, why wouldn't you? Um, you know, I know people who rent uh, I know the difference between renting and the tax breaks that I receive in home ownership. Um, common sense, a good steward of what God has given me would say, own a house. Uh, now, would I go out and buy um, a $2 million home? Uh, no. Uh, I think there are times that we can take house and, and get just a wee bit more than what we probably actually have need of. Uh, so uh, just be careful, and it's, uh, you know, but I watch people struggle with this. Or Listen, Jesus Christ says, I do not ask you to remove them from the world, but I do ask you to protect them from evil. Okay, some of your translations will say evil one. Uh, that's not in your Bible. Uh, that's been added. From evil. Stay away from evil. Why? Because um, you're surrounded. So anyway... This church, and he comes out of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul does, he comes out as, uh, uh, with a mindset of a father, a spiritual parent. And, and that's what I want to ask you today, because every one of you in this church, at some point, have a spiritual parent. Somebody that God used in your life to draw you in to the relationship with Christ. All right, And yet, some of us in this body of believers are spiritual parents. And in that spiritual parent uh, that you see that uh, to be a, a, a it literally I am dis- making disciples, but there is that parent-child relationship that is born from discipling. And in that relationship, there comes a time that there's a need for discipline. And that's what we've been looking at. Um, all of us who have ever had kids, or even if you've been around kids, you realize there comes a time in that child's life when you have to discipline. Sometimes it's verbal discipline. Sometimes it's the rod, okay, or the two-by-four, whatever is your instrument of use. I had a, a, a gym teacher who had a boat paddle, and I thought, uh, what an interesting concept. Um, but uh, I know you can't do that anymore, but uh, I think it's against should be. Anyway, discipline. And what he's dealing with is immorality in the church. Why? Because in verse 1, he says it's actually reported, it's common knowledge, it's universally known that there's immorality in the body. The church in Corinth was known because it was a place of immorality. And... It's amazing. He says, you have become arrogant about this. You're boasting as if this is good. You have, and he's been dealing with boasting in the first four chapters because the divisions, the schisms built on human wisdom or personality favoritism is based on boasting. You know, I am of Paul. Well, I prefer to listen to R.C. Sproul. Well, I like John Calvin. Or I da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, and yet he makes that statement and says, they're all your teachers. They are all your teachers. 
And he says, you have become arrogant and you have not mourned. The word mourn there is that of the loss of a loved one. It has to do with a funeral. I am weeping in such a way that I have lost a loved one. He says, you need to discipline this. I wonder in the church today how um, sensitive to this reality truly exists, to discipline. Everything I read is to grow the church. Not only that, we're willing to drop all of our barriers or guards, our discernment, so that we can add numbers. And in the adding of all of these numbers, what do you end up with? Very large volumes of immorality. Uh, I believe myself that is part of the attraction that goes to large churches. Um, not that a large church is not a place where God's word is exalted, but if I'm trying, like the quote I shared with you out of, uh, of Russia, if I'm trying to add Christ to my life, okay, I'm, I'm just going to put a little bit of Jesus in my time, okay, I can go in and out of a large church um, and, and, and feel like that I have done my thing for Jesus, okay, I've been involved, I've, you know, I sang in the choir, or I did the Sunday school jag, or whatever it was I did. See, I did that, and I can get back out, and I don't really have to worry about it. And, and I think that a lot of, uh, of what in, in large congregations, this is a, an attraction. Why? Well, I, I need to add Jesus, but I don't, I don't want him to crimp my style. Okay. Uh, I know people who say that um, I seek for my wife, the woman I would marry would be in the church because I want a godly woman, but I'm just not ready to marry yet. So what are you looking for now? And that's what I asked the guy, the one guy. Okay, because I know what he's looking for. All right, what, 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 I don't understand that. And yet I watch it and I see that in a lot of cases the church doesn't defend against this. It's almost like uh, we have opened the door and if it's a ravenous wolf, that's all right. We'll hear the gospel and perhaps they'll repent. Yeah, or perhaps they'll eat a large number of your sheep. Uh, and so it's stuff like that we need to pay attention to. And he brought up the method of discipline. And... Um, the person who has done this deed, be removed from your midst. Well, what does that mean? Well, it just means be removed from your midst. Uh, it's not complicated. Uh, he even says this in verse 3, the method of dis discipline, though I am absent, he says, I'm not even there and I'm smart enough to figure this out. Okay? Listen, any time that you, listen, if you feel like you're doing something, if you're doing something in your, in, in, your, uh, in your life, okay, I don't care where it is, all right, in your work situation, uh, people that you interact with in a relationship, and if you feel yourself trying to rationalize things, know right now you're in sin, okay? Anytime I have to take a relationship or an action or a thought or an attitude and try to biblically rationalize it, it is my flesh coming against the Holy Spirit trying to tell the Holy Spirit, shh, it's all right. It's all right. Okay? And if you have one that differ than that, then you have deceived yourself. I love you all, but I have never, and anytime I find myself trying to wrestle with something like that, I know that I am trying to sin, and I am trying to make that sin all right in the eyes of God. All right? Um, so, but he says, I'm not even there. 
and I know what needs to be done. And then he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled. The word assembled is the word you get synagogue from. When you have gathered together for the common understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, all right, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in all that he is, Paul says, I with you in spirit and what? The power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, have you ever read the text that says, where two or more gathered together, I am there? Okay. And everybody grabs that text and it's, it's prayer. Or The big thing now is small group fellowships or uh, cell groups. Ain't it cell? No, cell groups are what the Islam does, isn't it? Um, th- sorry. <laughs> it's too much CNN or something. But we have, you know, our home Bible studies or whatever. Anytime that we are together, uh, two are gathered there, I'm there. Well, I got news for you. If you're a believer, I don't care where you're at, he's there. All right? When you pray, he's there. All right? That text is solely for discipline. That's the only thing that text is for. When two saints come together desiring the will of God in in, in approaching a brother or sister, you can rest assured he is there. His authority is there. His power to do it is there. His power to either set that person outside is there or his power to repent that person, bring that person to repentance. It is always there. All right, but you must remove them. He says, I have decided to deliver such a one over for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. All right, basically what he's saying is if the person refuses to repent, you set him outside and let Satan destroy his flesh. Why? If he's a child of God, the spirit shall be spared. It's that simple. If he's not a child of God, you don't want him in the fellowship anyway. Do you? All right? So it's, it's I mean, I really look at this and it's not that complicated. And yet, if you've ever had to do this, ask yourself a question. Is it complicated? Is it difficult? Does it cause great anxiety on your behalf? Not the person you're going to confront on your behalf. Well, should I? Well, I don't know. Okay? Um, And if you do not have anxiety over dealing with this, if you do not have concern and mourning and heartache over this, I would highly suggest you don't do it. Because I would highly suggest your heart ain't right before the king anyway. But there's that mourning aspect. Okay, why do we confront these people? Why would I confront somebody? Okay, he steps into that in verses 6 through 8. We looked at this last week. Um, They're boasting. And then he uses the illustration of leaven. Okay, leaven, we went through this in depth. On a little leaven, when you mix it into the whole lump of dough, it spreads throughout the whole dough. Right, and each you have a starter pinch, and that starter pinch is that soured leaven, and it is the piece you put in there, and you, it permeates the whole thing. So it has the idea of influence. If you leave it alone, it will influence the rest of the body. All right, it's sort of like cancer in your body. If I ignore it, it'll go away. Will it? It will eventually, at your death. It will go away. All right? But if you leave cancer alone in your body, what happens to it? It'll metastasize and it'll spread. All right? And that's what the illustration is. Why? Because you deal with this thing because if you don't, it will spread. 
all right, and you will lose your testimony as, as a, a, a body of believers, as a church. Not only that, at some point, the Lord Jesus himself will remove the lampstand. Okay, and all I can say for that is, is that that holds the light up is gone. All right, and if you look at the church in Corinth, it does not exist today. All right, now then, I want to conclude with the sphere of discipline. What is the area of discipline? What are the limits of discipline? How far can we go? And I've run into some people <laughs> who are out there and going. All right. And you just, I just look at them, smile real big and wave. Bye. <laughs> All right. But I also have known this. I know a church that put a restraining order on an individual. Okay. They were set outside of the church. The person says, I don't have to listen to you. They put a restraining order and the police were at the church and would not allow the person on the church grounds. That's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. Okay? Um, but I will tell you that there are limits. All right? Verse 9 says, I wrote my letter not to associate with immoral people. Okay? There was another letter. All right, 1 Corinthians, a true first letter to the Corinthian church was written. It was not an inspired letter. It was the Apostle Paul dealing with an issue in this church, and we do not have the record of this thing. It is gone. So we have this letter, all right? But in doing this, I told you not to associate with an immoral person, all right? Um, this is an amazing word, and I am not crazy enough to even try to pronounce it. So I'll spell it for you, and then I'll give you some information on the Greek language. All right? The word is S-Y-N-A-N-A-M-E-I-G-N-Y-M-I. Feel good about that, don't you? What it is is a compound word... Okay, but it also has prefixes. Not only that, it has two prefixes, and it's a double compound word. That's why I didn't try to say it. Two prefixes and a double compound word. Um, <clears throat> the basic verb is uh, no company, no association. That's the basic word. In the English language, if you want to intensify something, uh, you will put uh, very... Or sometimes you really want to intensify very, 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 or really, really, really big snowstorm, right? So if you want to intensify something, you will add multiple words out front. In the Greek, if I want to intensify a word, I'll add a prefix to it. This has two prefixes. If I want to truly intensify a word, I will make it a compound word. Okay? Two prefixes, compound word, is what I just spelled for you. Um, I would translate it this way. Your word says, <clears throat> do not associate with an immoral person. Okay? Here's how I would translate it. Not on any condition at all, any time, have anything to do with an immoral person. Whoa. All right, and that's how I translate it. Why? Because it's a double compound word with double prefixes. Okay, so it's like to the eighth power. 
That's why I came up not at any time, at all any time, have anything to do with any immoral person. All right, that's why I, I, I brought it out. Do not mix yourself up with them in any way. Okay? Have absolutely no... Now, hear what I'm saying. He says, and I'm dealing with this fear. Don't get all uptight on me. All right? Because we're sitting there going, well, we're all going to live in closets. He says, I wrote in my letter not to associate. Do not mix yourself up with in any way. Have absolutely no familiar, intimate fellowship with an immoral person. Okay? That's the sphere of it. Refuse it. Why? Put them out of the church. Put them out. Now, you've got to remember something. Anytime I approach, anytime you approach a brother or sister in sin, it is done for the reason of changing them. To, they're going down this path. The path they're on is disobedience. And you're trying to say, if you go down this path, this is going to be a result. You don't want this result. So I'm trying to change your path. Okay? Please remember that. It is so easy to look around at other people and say, well, they're doing this and they're doing this and they're doing this and they're doing this. Okay? Also, I want to, I'll bring your attention to chapter 6 of Galatians where it says, You who are spiritual, see any brother in any trespass, do what? Bear their burden. You know what that means? I'm going to get involved in your life in such a way, I'm going to help you carry this thing. If you're willing to point out the offense to the saint, then ask yourself, are you willing to help them overcome it? Okay, if you're not willing to do that, then your best bet is keep your mouth shut. Okay, which mean, and I mean keep your mouth shut. It doesn't mean you take it to the prayer chain and pray. It doesn't mean you take it to somebody else and, you know, I think this person, no. It means you are witness to it. You believe it's there. You don't want to carry the burden. You be quiet. Because God showed you the offense, wants you to be the tool to fix it, and if you're not willing, then you just sit there. All right? There is a... a, a, a the, the call is to restore in love. Now then, I want to clarify this. Chapter 6 of Galatians says, You who are spiritual see any brethren in any trespass. All right? What I want you to understand about that is no matter what the offense is, if your relationship with that person is such that you know what they're doing is an offense to God and you have a biblical precedence for what they're doing, regardless of what the offense is, you are the tool God has placed to be used to restore that child of God. See, sometimes we have certain sins it's easy for us to deal with, don't we? I mean, it's, you know, they're kind of, you know what, I deal with that cheating on my tax things. It's all right. We're not recording this, are we? What's the statute of limitation on cheating on taxes? All right, I'm safe. All right, but uh, 
you know, and I understand how to do that. Or perhaps, uh, you know, I've had people say, well, you know, I feel guilty. I was at the cash register, and I, I give them a 10. They give me change for a 20, and I forgot to give it back, and, and, and things like that. That's great. What are you going to do um, when you catch your girlfriend? Your, let's say I'll talk to women first. If you've got a, a girlfriend of yours that you hang out with, and you catch her in immorality. That just ain't nearly as much fun, is it? You know, you can't just go get a little spot of tea and say, well, you know, we just really need to look at this, do we? Because what happens? Well, they have the emotional thing, and I love them, and da 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 Right? And it's tough, ain't it? You're just like, oh, I'll go like this and act like it didn't happen. Huh? You guys be aware. Let me tell you something what I've learned in my study of Scripture. Anytime I study Scripture, you know why? God's preparing me as a vessel to do what? Use and stand on what I've learned. Everybody feel happy and excited yet? There's another one coming up that's going to be a dandy too. <laughs> you guys might want to read ahead and decide what Sunday you won't be there. <laughs> okay, if any of you got litigation pending, you don't want to be here in the next three weeks. <laughs> okay, because I'm going to deal with that in chapter 6. All right? No matter what the offense, you confront it. Gentlemen, have you ever run into a guy? Well, let's, let's, let's do it a little more in the safer realm of America. Let's say that the person is single, okay? We're more tolerant of single people because they're single. They don't have responsibilities, you know. They're carefree and all them other crazy words that we like to throw out, right? Everybody that's single is going like this. Are we studying verse 10, chapter 10? We're in chapter 10, ain't we? <laughs> I, won't, I won't be in chapter something else, <laughs> Okay. What happens if you catch them in immorality? Well, but it's a godly man and it's a godly woman and they plan on getting saved. I mean, getting saved. <laughs> yeah, there may be more truth to that than what I want to think. <laughs> Perhaps we were planning on getting married. What do you do? Real straightforward, isn't it? Well, what about this one? Well, they're not in our church. They're in my Bible study. I have a Bible study at my house, and they come over to the house, and I just happen to know the one couple there that's living in sin. What do you do? Read your text. Tell me the qualifier. Read your text. Tell me the qualifier. What if it's just a small group? You know, it's just an association of Christian businessmen. And we meet together and we pray and do a little devotion, quiet time thing. What are you supposed to do? Why are we afraid to say? You give them the boot. Get out. Why? It's not that I don't love you. I love Christ more. That's tough, isn't it? You give them to Satan so their flesh will be destroyed. 
If they belong to Christ, guess what? They'll be okay. Why? Their spirit will be saved. Anytime you're gathering to the king, get out. Why? Go back to the leaven. If you're going to tolerate that, what will you tolerate next? If you tolerate that, what are you going to tolerate after that? Then the question comes up with this one. What if they're living in your home? What if out of the kindness of your heart, you say, you know, this person's kind of fallen or this, yeah, something has happened that they've fallen on hard times, so you say, come on in. What do you do? And you find out that there's, there's immorality. What do you do? Again, read your text. What's your qualifier? I, there is a qualifier. If you don't read it, you can't see it. All right? There is a qualifier in there. And you really got to be uh, 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 clear to it. It shows up there in verse 11. So-called brother. If they take the name of my king, okay? If they're not a Christian, (laughs) why do we try to force Christian values on non-believers? Let me ask you a question. A number of you I know for a fact were saved late in life. That don't sound right, does it? You you were a little old, and I don't sound right either. You know what I mean, okay? I, you know, I I wasn't born with Christendom in my brain, all right? And, 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 gosh, digging a hole, ain't I? Um, and, and, and so I, I'll ask you a question. Before your conversion, how well did you do living for Christ? Why would I expect lost people to live for Christ? I, I mean, I, I watch people having, uh, what was it, uh, conniptions over this guy and his Ten Commandments in the, in the judicial, in the, in the courthouse. What do you expect? Really, think about it. What would you expect? I would be more shocked if it didn't bother him. Now that was real, that would bother me. Uh, what's up here? All right, why? Live as Christ, and you shall be persecuted. You shall be persecuted. I understand that completely. I remember right after Columbine, the big deal was let's put the Ten Commandments back in the school. What? Yeah, you put one tablet in the front, one tablet in the back. It's sort of like bulletproof vests. Why? Listen, it says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. What are you going to do with number one? Do you see what I mean? In America, you're going to do what? Have no other gods before who? I, I don't, anyway. So if they claim the name, then yeah, you've got a problem. And you need to deal with it. The church, the body of Christ, the precious bride, um, cannot tolerate that kind of infection. Whether it's a small group, whether it's your home Bible study, whether it's a a fellowship group of employers, employees, and things like that. You can't tolerate that any more than your body can tolerate a metastasizing cancer. You've got to understand that. Okay? Verse 10. He gives you the sphere of that discipline. I did not mean, I did not all mean with immoral people of this world. All right? Who was that? 
Bill and Hillary. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, just kidding. All right. Uh, those who do not know the Lord. I, I watch people try to put biblical parameters on lost people, and they can't. It's impossible. They can't do it. We have laws. Okay, our government that God has put in place has put laws around mankind so mankind will adhere to the laws. All right? And in, in them laws, we have some weird things. And, and they're based, and I hate to say this, they're based on a moral standard. All right? Have you ever heard this statement? You can't legislate morality. Okay, so what you're telling me, murder, murder is not immoral. Yes, you do legislate morality. Why do we put speed limits up? just to make saints sin. All right, why do we put speed limits up? Because it's probably for our own good. All right, but of course we all think that we're better drivers than that. All right? As normal, the world is a world of fornicators. Did you know that? Do you understand that that's normal? Please understand that. Remember when they went into um, uh, the promised land? They just crossed the Jordan, okay, right? And, and they went in, and, and, and they, but they had sent some guys in early to spy out Jericho to see how formidable uh, it was going to be of a battle. Whose house did they hide in? What kind of house do you suppose it was? Well, you got 49 bedrooms. Okay, what I'm trying to get at, you see that that ain't something new. Okay, so so uh, it, it is it, it is something that you pay attention to. Look what he says here. <clears throat> he gives a list here: immoral people of this world, or of the covetous, the swindlers, or with idolaters. For then you would. Um, have to go out of, and the word is the word we get planet from. And and Paul was smart enough to say that uh, uh, the only way you can get out of this and be away from those of the world who do these things is go to another planet. Okay? So so Paul is saying, uh, yeah, okay. There was a guy named, and I just read this article. Uh, well, it's been it's been a, a, a while ago. I went back and reread the article because it's. I have a file in, in my office, and, and the title uh, of the file it's, it's all the stuff that Christians uh, yeah yeah do interviews. But the, the the title of the file is called Goofy. Okay, and it ain't got nothing to do with the cartoon character. All right, but anyway, I went back to my Goofy file, and I found this guy, O.L. Jaggers, okay? And he was selling plots of land in the desert to build a sinless city, and he was going to put a wall around it to keep all sin out. If you bought a plot of land and got entered into the city, it would be self-sufficient, had its own water, have its own electrical generating and all the rest of it. And if you got in there and you sinned, you got thrown out with the world. But he was literally selling plots of land in the desert um, to keep sin out. Okay, uh, The old boy's in jail right now. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I guess it didn't work, did it? <laughs> so, you know, and, you know, and, and I, was, I remember one of the, the guy who was doing it so, so, thought it was a wonderful idea. 
And I thought, yeah, okay. <laughs> Hang on, I have some other land I'll sell you too. It ain't got no sin in it either. <laughs> okay? Uh, so anyway, oh, by the way, when you buy it, you're not allowed to go there because you're a sinner and you'll ruin it. <laughs> all right? But just give me the cash. Um, all right. So he's not talking about the world or the sinners of the world, but I want to see something here because it's very interesting the way the Apostle Paul, you see three categories here. Uh, immoral. Okay, the word and between covetous and swindlers is not in the text. So it's almost, if you look at covetous and a swindler, it's almost like the same thing. All right, and then you see idolaters. All right. Um, Do you realize that in just those three categories, the Apostle Paul has summed up all of human philosophy? The whole sum of man's wisdom is encompassed in immoral, covetous, idolater. Okay? Immoral is hedonism. Hedonism is pleasure. Okay? Seek for the pleasure. Okay? The instant gratification. Right now, right now, right now. Uh, Covetous is materialism. Okay, and then you see the swindler or extortion, some of your translations may say, is how do I get my materialism? Okay, idolatry is religionism. So it's all there. Okay, here's how it also is. Fornication is sin against one's own body. Coveting is sin against another's. And of course, idolatry is sin against the true God. But he can sum humanity in three words. That is the absolute total encompassing of all of man's wisdom. I don't care what you do for a living. You will find one of these three philosophies meshed into what you do for a living. I don't care what you do for a living. Why? That's what our system runs on. Okay, the thing is, is that it doesn't become that, that focus. All right, then but he goes to verse 11. I actually wrote you not to associate with any so-called brother. Okay? In verse 13, speaking of those that I just came out of, who's going to judge them? God judges them. I don't have to count, uh, cast a dispersion at them. I don't have to say, um, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to condemn the lost person. Why? God's got it covered. God's got it covered. Regardless of what you see. Um, listen, let me... I, there's some thoughts that came to my mind as I was going through this. Because uh, I watched Christians struggle with what is a Christian's relationship to the world. Okay, to the world. And I shared with you in the past. Um, why are we still here? Okay. If is, is it to exalt Christ? Well, if I'm in his presence in heaven, can I do a better job? Well, sure. Um, if, uh, is it to worship Christ? Well, it would seem like if I was in heaven, I could probably do a little bit better job, don't you think? To sing praises to Christ? Well, I'm telling you. I know I can do that better in heaven. <laughs> right? Why are we still here? To reach the lost. There's only one thing you can do here that you can't do in heaven better. Reach the lost. 
You can't reach any lost in heaven. Okay, you've heard this statement. I've made it before. There are some people are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly use. There are some in the church who are so earthly minded, they are of no heavenly use. Okay? Are we to have no contact with the world? Jesus spent an awful lot of time with drunkards and prostitutes and tax collectors. Even parties with them. Hmm. Let me explain to you. It's not that we're not to have no contact, but we are not to conform to those around us, to the world. Okay? I've sat with people before. I remember going to a ball game one time, a whole row of non-believers. What was weird was, as many of you know, these were men from my past. Okay? They all knew what I did for a living now. Okay? And we all went to the, the Rockies game with it. These are adults. These are aged adults. The 30-something show didn't apply to them. Or 20-something, whatever that movie show was, all right? It didn't apply to them. But it was so comical because the one guy wanted to have a beer and he would wait for me to get up and leave. He'd order a beer and he'd put it down behind his chair. And he'd wait. You know how the chairs at Coors Field are kind of diagonal, so you see? And he would wait. And if I turned this way, he'd go and take a drink and set it back down again. This man's 41 years old. And I thought, golly, this is... It was comical. But, but it isn't that I don't associate with them. I just don't want a beer. Okay? And I'm not going to jump up and hit you if you have one. God might. But I'm not. <laughs> All right? See, let me explain something about the church that is missing today. The drunkards and the prostitutes and the tax... Now, I've never hung out with a tax collector. Um, and I'm still thinking about that one. You guys, if you know one, and if you are one, stay away from me. If, uh, you know, I, when I was ordained, um, my, my first ordination, I made $1,500 in a year as a minister and was audited. I mean, even if I cheated, what are you going to get? Okay? But my, my first... Was it six years? Yeah, first six years of my ministry, I was audited every year. Now, I'm not even going to go into what I used to do in my old life. All right? I was a sitting duck for auditing. How do you have a brand new Corvette and you show $4,200 income? I mean, it seems to me like somebody, how'd you do that? That's nothing. See on my condo down in Pompano? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but anyway, I don't want to go into it. But tax collectors, I, I don't know about that. Anyway, what is the church? When you think about coming together as the church, Jesus hung out with the drunkards, the prostitutes, and the tax collectors. Why? They knew they needed him. Okay? Jesus himself said, they that are sick need a physician, those, not those who are well. Okay? Here's the problem, and I looked at this last week. Some think they're well. Okay, they're the ones with the real wrinkly foreheads that are so busy trying to please Jesus that they're making everybody else miserable. Um, But they who know that they are sick are open to being healed. Okay? We show the world the love of Christ. 
some to win to Christ. But we are not to do what they do. I don't do that. What they do for entertainment, I don't need to do what they do for entertainment. I mean, it isn't a sin to go to a ball game. It is a sin to go to the ball game and get hammered out in the parking lot in a tailgate uh, party atmosphere and all the other uh, revelry that goes on. Remember that one Cincinnati Red game, those guys that's behind us? Yay. Hoy. <laughs> it's obvious you don't know how you act when you're drunk, huh? Because <laughs> if you did, you wouldn't do that no more. <laughs> all right. Um, but we do contact them for Christ's sake. We do make contact with them. Why? Matthew 5.14, we are the salt of the earth. We have influence. We do something and we do give an influence. We are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden. Okay? The, the problem that you see today is the church has a black eye for what she claims she's doing. Remember when uh, the uh, Saint, what was that, shepherd kid... Matthew Shepard was beaten up in Laramie, and that idiot from Te- sorry from Topeka was going up and protesting that the fags are going to burn and da 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 and all the rest of it. You just, ugh. you know, we need to anyway. Nah, um, and and we seem to have that problem. They had National Gay Pride Day at Disney World, and um, what the heck was that yo-yo in Virginia? Uh, he's got the, no, no, he's got the TV show. Yeah, no, the guy wearing for president, Robert, yeah, Pat Robertson, said that God told him he's going to burn Disney World with like fire and brimstone like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. And, oh, <laughs> What? When? (laughs) I've got tickets. (laughs) I want to make sure that my vacation is around that. (laughs) And and but why do you do that? What do you expect from the world? And and let me ask you: that has influence on the world, but that's not what Jesus was calling about. Um, We are in the world. We have contact in the world. We hear the world. We see the world. uh, and, And as people in the world we will realize that they find no fulfillment. Look at them. You don't, if, just take your Romans chapter 1 verse 18 and look at that. He gives them over, gives them over. And it's finding fulfillment, you know, in multiple relationships and in intimate sexual relationships with multiple people. Well, that don't work. And then I'll exchange it over to these degrading passions. Well, that don't work. I'm still not fulfilled. And then I'll start doing the homosexual thing. And that don't work. And so now I need to find something. And that don't work. And then you get into your own religiosity. And that don't work. And you're standing there with this big smile on your face saying, I love Jesus. And regardless of what happens in my life, I love Jesus. And you know, when the tax guy calls me up and I'm going to go, I don't have no money, so there you go. I can still smile at him and say, I still love Jesus. He don't even like you. But, uh, nah. uh, but, but you sit there and they're going to say all of these things that I have and I got no fulfillment. And this clown is sitting here with this goofy smile on his face and a peace that completely surpasses my understanding. How do you do that? And you say, well, you know what? I used to have this God-shaped hole in my heart about right there. And he came in and he filled that hole. And we've been just like that ever since. And no matter what goes on in my life, nobody can take that from me. 
All right? That's fulfillment. And when they see that, they will want what you have. Paul even said that the gospel has been given to the Gentiles to do what? To make the Jews jealous. Okay? In uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 2, I like this text, verse 15. I want to give you the context because verse 14 is one that we here today really need to really think about is do all things without grumbling or disputing. (laughs) Just, Just the word of God. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. I like that. I mean, that's some stuff right there because he's saying right in the middle of all of this stink, you're going to shine. But you need to be blameless. You need to be harmless. Okay, you need to be without rebuke. Uh, You've got to have no offense that, you can, that people can cast at you. Uh, but you are in the middle of it. Uh, to give you a balance of it, he said it in his high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 15. He said this, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. That's why I love church. That's why I love to come to church. Why? Where do I get sanctified? And you know what? You can tell me that you do your quiet time, you do your devotional times, and you do this and that and the other, and that's great. But you know what? He said to the church he's going to do what? I'm going to give supernaturally empowered apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers for what? Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Okay? Jesus... I think probably what happens is we get this preoccupation with Jesus coming and his return. We forget that, you know, when he comes, we're going to heaven. A whole bunch more going to hell. And if you look at other people around you in that light, you'll change your view of that person. I guarantee it. In Revelation 10, John said this. Remember that? He talks about eating that little scroll. I ate that little bitty scroll. He says, oh, it was sweet going down. It was sweet. What happened when it got in his stomach? Came bitter. Why? Because just as the body of Christ will be lifted up from this place and put in the presence of Jesus Christ in the absolute absence of sin, we can know that eternal judgment is coming to humanity. See, we need to have a sensitivity to the lost. And that's what this is saying here. He says, you don't judge those people outside. He's not saying cut off from the world, but from Christians who act like the world. All right? Because as we are going, remember the Great great Commission, what is it? Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching the things I've taught you, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Lord, I'm with you. But that phrase in the Greek is, as you're going, as you're going, make learners of me. Make learners of me. Why? I'm taking Christ to them. Why? That's what he did. That's what he did. All right? Back to your text, verse 11, he says, Don't associate with any so-called brother. Okay, look what he says. All right, now listen. So-called brother. This is a person who's taken the name. I claim that I'm a Christian. Are you a believer? And they say yes. 
All right, now listen, I know truly only God knows the hearts of men. All right, but it says here, who is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, a swindler. Now, let me give you what he's saying here. Immoral is just that. It's sinning against their own body. All right, covetous is greedy for the things of what? Of the world. What is an idolater? They worship false gods. Anything that is before God is an idol. A reveler or a slanderer, uh, those are both kind of the same term, all right? That is a person who is abusive to others. Uh, It's a person that is always critical, always unkind. It's that person that is always cutting other people. That is the term reviler. That's the person. They're, they're just, you've run into them, I've run into them. They never have anything good to say about anybody. All right? The drunkard. That is the person who practices altering their conscience. Okay? Do you understand that that's what that is? When people take too much wine or narcotics, all they're doing is uh, dumbing their conscience. Okay? You've heard all the country and western songs about that. The girls are all prettier at closing time. Why? I've taken my conscience, all of my morals, and I've gotten them drunk. I'm hanging out with a bunch of immorals. Okay? The swindler is, can be an extorter. Um, in, John, or in Matthew 7, 15, the term is used there, but it's translated ravenous wolves. Okay, why? Um, that the swindler or extorter, depending on your translation, is one who uses others to gain his own. Okay, it can be money, it can be position, it can be power, things like this. But this is a so-called brother doing these things. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. All right. Um, I thought about this. I had a, a, a friend of mine was trying to, ex, trying to explain me to some other pastors. It's a long story. But anyway, he says, you need to understand something, that Terry has a passion and a zeal and a personality similar to the Apostle Paul. And when you first hear that, you think, well, ha, ha. And then you think, oh, man. <laughs> Stoned and left for dead, bitten by snakes and rods and whips and Yahoo, sign me up. Okay. But he made this comment. I want you to think about what he just said. Any so-called brother who does what? Immoral, covetous, idolater, reveler, drunkard, swindler. Okay? What's wrong with that? I got news for you. Paul just rolled a huge bomb in the middle of the Corinthian assembly. I mean, beyond anything that I've ever done yet. Okay? Why? Why do I say that? Every one of these is found in 1 Corinthians. And you wouldn't find it in the letter unless he's dealing with the problem. Uh, Immoral, chapter 5. 
covetous, chapter 10, verse 24. Idolaters, chapter 10, 20 and 21. Slanderer factions, that's the first four chapters. 16, uh, 11, be easy on Timothy. Why? I'm sending him to you, and I don't need you to beat him up like you're doing everybody else. Drunkards, 11, 21, at the Lord's table. Extortion, we'll look at that next week, chapter 6. Um, everything on the list was a characteristic of the Corinthian assembly. So basically what he's saying is what? Find a new church. I don't know. You know how big you are? You shouldn't be that big. Okay. You know, I wrote down here a little note. Paul's making friends. Because this letter's read. You need to understand that when the pastor received this letter, he's excited and they would congregate. He says, I have a letter from my brother Paul who founded us. Get ready. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What does he say not to do with it? Don't even eat with them. Don't even go to your McDonald's with them. Paul, no. God is telling this church, you find all these people and you put them out. Put them out. I think I'm going to write a book on church growth. I think I'm going to use this text. Be a real small book, and it definitely won't sell. Okay? But let me tell you something. Is that a different kind of church plan, church growth plan? Let me tell you something. It will grow the church. It will. Uh, He says, if you find the crooked businessman, buy. Get the drunkard, buy. The slanderer, buy. Greedy, buy. Okay? Immoral. Bye. If you've got something else before God, bye. Put them out. Put them out. Why? Satan will fix them. And if they are God's, their spirit will be all right. If they're not of God's, Satan still fix it. See, the, the church needs to deal with this kind of stuff. And in some cases, I, I believe that this is part of the draw, like I said, for the large church. Now then, I want to give you some qualifiers about this. Because he's already said this. He says, you're boasting, but you should be mourning. Okay? You should not do this as something that you're looking forward to. Okay? It should be done with mourning. Your mourning. Um, uh, as if a death mourning. Uh, it should be done with great tears. It should be done with great heartache. And I'll tell you this. It's not easy. Um, And as far as I'm concerned, I believe it's the hardest thing in ministry to do. I haven't had to do it a lot, but every time I do it, and even when I speak about it right now, I get that kind of acid reflux thing going. Um, But every time that I've had to do it, I've always known that it is the right thing to do. Um, I pray that God preserves the testimony of this church. Because we have dealt with sin in the past. Um, And I I struggle with how do you preach the Bible week after week and and yet you don't call anybody to obey the thing. Um, And yet that is basically what you see in the church in Corinth. Um, and and, And immorality is our context. It's not, again, like I said, that we don't love them. It's just that we should love the church more and the purity of the church is the key to what Christ demands. Um, 
I wrote a question in here. Are we willing to pay the price for the purity of the church? Because like I shared with you last week, um, this church was boasting in what God was doing. And yet all of this is going on. And if you're going to do this, the purity in the church starts where? Well, you. Not me. You. No. (laughs) I start with me. You start with you. Um, If you do not, the church will be destroyed by the leaven that will spread through it. Verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do not judge those. Do you not judge those who are within? The word church there has been added. It's within. Where? The body. Outsiders, lost people, it's their nature. What do you expect them to do? But are not outside. What? We judge those who are inside. We hold them up. Now then, I want to give you another thing that I want you to think about, okay? You need to go to another text. I want you to go with me quickly over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay? Because there's, there's a problem that people will immediately start trying to cram into this text. Okay? <clears throat> Is this a cry? Is this a command? Is this a demand? For perfection. Okay? Contextually, what are we dealing with? Immorality. But it's dealing with immorality. That's immorality. That's sex outside of, of the uh, framework of marriage, what God has given. And then there's even some things there, but we'll deal with that later. Okay? Listen. Um, listen. If it is perfect, it's not going to be a church. Okay? Because the church is not a society of the perfect. Okay? The church is a society of, is a hospital for people who at least know they're sick. People say, well, why do you teach? I had this that said, you teach on Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night. Well, I know I'm sick. I'm sick. Okay, and if I'm always in the process of preparing, guess what I'm doing? Working on my sickness. <laughs> okay, and, and that's why I do what I do. Why? I'm sick. I know me. I've lived with me for a whole bunch of years. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm like if I'm left alone. Okay, now I know you guys are way more holier than I am, but I know who I am. And if you leave me alone... Ask Stephanie why she doesn't let me babysit Jake. Right? She's afraid that I would would have guppies in the baptistry (laughs) practicing our fly fishing. Okay? I want to show you something. Okay? And and I I, I want to start with chapter 5, verse 14. Look what he says here. Now, quickly, you understand that the church in Thessalonica is an amazing church. I mean, is is phenomenal church. Their testimony in a less than a year's time, what they were doing for the glory of the king had rippled through all of Christendom. All right, Christendom, you could take as far as Rome, Italy, all the way around to Alexandria, Egypt. 
Okay, and they didn't have CNN, they didn't have Angel One, satellite television, Christian TV, or anything like that. But what was happening in the church in Thessalonica had spread all the way around. And yet in chapter 4, he says, I want you to excel more. All right, and then he goes in and he gives a, a, a bunch of stuff on how to excel more. Beginning in verse 14, we urge you, brethren, okay, that would be those who take the name Christ. What? Admonish the unruly. Okay? Admonish means that a, a person is going down this path and you see the outcome of where they're going and the disaster. You, maybe you've done it. I've been there, done that, got some merit badges. Not only that, I think you have my map and you're following it. Okay? So, so what I do is I come alongside and I say, let me explain this to you. You continue down this path. And here's what's going to happen. The unruly person is the person, it's a military phrase, it means that any time that you're going left, they're going right. You're going forward, they're going backwards. Okay, they're, you're going backwards, they're going forwards. They're just absolutely out of sync of everything you're doing. And you explain to them, listen, you continue this, you know, this is what's going to happen. All right, so he says, brethren, I want you to note that. He has absolutely nothing to say about the elders in the church to do this. He doesn't say that the Sunday school director should do this, that the Sunday school teacher should do this. He doesn't say that the leader of the choir, any of these other people should do this. Who should do this? Anyone who takes the name. Then he says this, I want you to encourage the faint-hearted. Okay, do you know what it means to encourage anybody? That's not a good response. <laughs> Man, <laughs> well, we flunked that test. Hang on, we'll back up and we'll try that one again. This is an open book test. <laughs> okay, answers are in your book. Okay, to encourage someone is not to sit there and hammer them every time you turn around and find them doing something stupid. Because if so, then you guys need to start with me because I sit around and I have a doctorate in stupidity. You need to grab this. To encourage people is not to say you're doing this and this and this and this wrong. To encourage a person, it says, even though you've done this, why don't we go down this line? All right, the faint-hearted is that person that's just, oh, and they fall over. Oh, my God, Jesus is, oh, okay. Uh, you know them. You know them. How many people have I told you if you miss three Sundays, it's six months before you come back to church? Okay, now why would I say that? Because if you miss three Sundays, it's six months before I see you again. And that is a person who is faint-hearted. That's all it is. Why? Well, I need to do this because if I don't get this done, then this isn't going to happen. If I don't get this done, this isn't going to happen. And all I can say, did he speak existence into being? Yes. Did he say, lo, I am with you most of the time? Did he say that the span of my hand is creation? Did he? And did he say that the hairs of your head he knows? And does he say, are you not more important than the sparrows? Okay, the faint-hearted will say, yeah, uh-huh, but you just don't understand. Well, yes, I do understand, <laughs> okay, because I've done Let me ask, have you ever been in a financial situation where you just knew that you didn't have enough money to breathe the next breath? And then all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, poof, God gives you some money. All right, a month later, the same situation, and what is your response? Lo, he is with me always. The span of his hand is creation. He speaks into existence. No, it's this. <laughs> Again. All right? Until what? 
you have bowed to him and you have seen that he is faithful. All right? So we encourage the faint-hearted. Why? He's brought you this far. He shall continue this. Right? I am convinced that in concerning you, he will complete in you that that he has called you to. I know that no temptation has seized you except that that is common to man. And God is faithful. He will provide a way that you may stand under the temptation. Okay? But then what else are we going to do? All right? It says... Help the weak. The word weak there can be morally weak or in the faith weak. All right? Do you know what those are? You're going to help them. Do you know what that means? You grab them and you pick them up and you stand them up, you prop them up, you hold them up and you stand there and they sit and they smile at you. They say, I'm ready. And you back away from them and they go, whoa. And you reach back over and you grab them and you pick them up and you hold them up and you stand them up and they say, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And you stand away from them and they go, and you get and pick them up and you hold them up and you hold them up and they smile at you and they say, I can do it. And you back away from them and then they weeble and they wobble, but they don't fall down. Okay. Now listen, who's supposed to do this? Everybody. And you know what? They will all drive you nuts because that's what he says next. What does he say? They're going to wear you out. Be patient. Why? I want you to excel. I want you to be more. Why? Repay no evil for an evil. Always seek what is what? Did it say? Seek that that is good. Why? So you can do what? When? You can rejoice always. You can do what? Pray without ceasing. What? In everything you will give thanks. Why? This is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. You got that? What is it? Everybody likes to say, well, it's rejoicing and praying and thanksgiving. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh, uh-uh, good try, good try. What is God's will for the saints in Jesus Christ? Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, strengthen the weak, be patient with everybody. Right? We don't like to say that one out loud, do we? Right, why? And it all comes together. That is God's will for us. In that is part of what we're dealing with. See, the church is the place where you're going to have unruly. The church is the place where you're going to have faint-hearted. The church is the place where you're going to have the weak. The church is the place that you will get patience. All right? But I like this one over here, too. Do not despise prophetic utterances. We won't go into that one. Okay? All right? Let me explain to you. The church is a place where the people understand that I do not have a pure life. But that is my goal. I don't have it. I I don't have holiness. That's my goal. If that's your goal, then where should you be? In the church. That's the goal. Why? Go back to your text there because verse 13, he says, Those who are outside God judges, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Why? The wicked man, what is his pursuit? Is it purity? Is it holiness? Is it the things of Christ? Anybody here pursuing the Christ life? 
Is that what you desire? Then you should be in church. Why? There are gifted men. You should be around Christians. You should be around the fellowship. Why? Because they help you walk it. Why? Because they're going to, when you go, they'll come and they'll pick you up and they'll hold you up and they'll strengthen you and they'll strengthen you and you can look at them and say, I think I can do it. And you'll take a step and you'll fall over. It's just like getting your kids to walk that first time. That's what it's all about. That's what the life is. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, and Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 7. He says, remove the wicked man from yourselves. What? That is, remember the monument to Achan? Did you know that there was an altar built to Achan? Does anybody remember Achan? Achan was a good Jew, had a large family, was a soldier in the Jewish army under Joshua. And they went in and they obliterated everywhere they went. They would destroy it. And they were to take all the spoils and put it with it. Give it to the temple. Give it to the priest. All right? And Achan was very faithful about that. Except one time. A little gold bar. What a big gold bar. It's a little gold bar. And he took the little bar and he did what? Hit it in his tent. The next day they went out to battle and got their proverbial butts whooped. And Joshua said, Lord, I'm perplexed. And you know what the Lord said? Remove the evil from your midst. He quoted his second law. Deuteronomy is the second law. That's what it means. The land that I am giving you has laws under it, and it will be the second law. That will be the law of Deuteronomy. Here's how you're to act in the new land that I'm giving you. And so he went to Achan. He said, Achan, are you holding out? He said, well, it's just one bar. I mean, here, take it to the priest. What was Joshua's response? He took them outside of the camp and did what? Stoned him, his wife, his kids, and his livestock and his relatives. And he looked at the nation of Israel and said, God has honored us. We will Keep the wickedness from within the camp. At the birth of the church, chapter 5, we have a saint who comes up and he sells his property and he gives the money, all the money to the church. He is called the encourager. That's what his name is. His name is Barnabas. And everybody's in awe. Do you see that? He took all the money and he gave it to them. And they were in awe. So another couple, they decide, well, a couple, they decide they're going to sell theirs. And they come back, but you know what? They just seen this little piece of property, nice little condo you could put up on the Sea of Galilee. We'll hold some cash, but we'll give you the bulk of it. And Peter said, is this exactly the price that you paid for that land? And they said, yeah. And he fell over dead. Boom. What caused you to lie to the Holy Spirit? Peter said. The wife comes in. Is that what you get? Uh-huh. See their feet right there? They just buried your husband. Boom. She fell over dead. Why? Keep the impurity from the church. Why? Remove the wicked man. Those outside, God will judge. God, God will judge. See, discipline is kind of like a vaccination. Okay, you just get you know you get the flu shot if you've gotten a flu shot. You know what they give you? A dead flu virus. Okay, that's what they're giving you. Aren't you happy? Okay, some of them have entered a resurrection. And anyway, um, <clears throat> but you get a little dose of that, and what happens? Your body builds an immunity up to it. 
That's what church discipline is. You get a little dose of that to it. Well, I want that. Okay? And a Christian needs to be sensitive to the purity of their own life. Second, we need to be sensitive to the lives of the people who are around us. And when we do that, we will both benefit. A brother or sister in sin, in the love of Christ, you go to them, you confront the sin, you've done them a favor. You turn around, guess what? You've gained the saint, and and they've gained the blessing of Christ. Listen, people ask me, they say, well, when should I confront somebody? And I'm going to close with this illustration. If you don't want your child to play in the highway, as soon as you see that child looking toward that highway, you tell them no. Don't you? I mean, you don't wait for them to get in the middle of the highway and say, you probably shouldn't be out there. Should you? You say no. Listen, we have three attacks that the enemy attacks every single one of us. It's, listen, it's, it's not changing. It doesn't change. He has three. If you're playing football, he has three plays. At some point, you would think we'd be smart enough to defense three plays. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. If I see somebody looking, I'd boink right in the eyes. No, I don't. Everybody's like, oh. No. If I see people start looking, I say, I don't think you ought to be looking. If I see people who are filling their flesh or trying to appease their flesh, stop it. Why? It's a bottomless pit. You'll never get it fed. Okay? And then there is the boasting of life. Stop it. That is a door for the enemy to separate you or cause you to separate the body of Christ. When do I tell them? I don't wait till their lust has manifested itself. Stop it before it happens. Stop it before it happens. Just like my kids when they get in the street. I don't say, get out of the street. After they get hit by a bus, I tell them as soon as they look at that street, stay out of that street. Stay out of that street. I own guns. And I tell my kids up front, my guns destroy. Do never point a gun at anything that you're not willing to completely obliterate it. Completely destroy it. It's that simple. If you're not willing to destroy it, don't point anything at it. And and every gun, as far as you know, is loaded, cocked, and ready to destroy something. Until you know otherwise. Simple lessons. And I don't wait for my kids to go find one of my guns, cock it, pull the trigger, and shoot a hole in my wife's walls. Say, oh yeah, (laughs) I guess I should have told you. Why wouldn't I do that with the body of Christ? Well, I will. I will. But I want to close, and I I have a plea for you. As soon as you see the attitude, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, Will you help me stop it? Because um, I can't do this by myself. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word, for what you're doing. Lord, I pray that you taught this day. Lord, I think about uh, 
so many of us who wander around and we, we get ourselves into messes. And Lord, uh, I just pray that we bow today and understand that uh, you have overcome. And that, Father, it is that drawing near to you is our safety. Father, let us draw near to you. Let us draw with confidence unto the things of Christ. And that, Father, we may understand that the bride of Christ, your precious church, is that place where we can uh, be healed, where we can be comforted. Father, where we can be um, drawn and molded. Father, where we can be encouraged. And, Father, where we can actually be used as vessels of honor for your will and your purpose. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.